Last Sunday, I preached a message about blessing those people who mistreat and malign you. And many of you shared your thoughts with me about that sermon as you left the auditorium last Sunday morning. Um, whether you were on your way home or on your way to the fellowship hall to enjoy our amazing fellowship lunch, you know, uh, there, there, the, the message last Sunday was uh, a challenge, challenge to uh, me, and it seemed to be a challenge to many of you as, as well. You know, to be honest, as I approach this sermon series that we're walking through in Romans chapter 12, um, there were certain passages within Romans chapter 12 that I knew would be powerful and challenging sermons um, but last week was not one of them that I anticipated uh, being as challenging as it was. You see, when I first started preparing for this series, I expected last week's message to be more about showing kindness and empathy toward those people who are hurting, not a message about the spiritual battles that we face every day as the enemy seeks to destroy us with his evil schemes. But that's where our text led us, and, and so that's where we studied. Well, you know, when, when my children were little, and I just to clarify, I did not ask permission uh, to use this picture. Uh, you should see the, the darts that are being tossed my way from the second row. But when my children were little, uh, one of the ways that we taught them scripture was by teaching them songs whose lyrics were directly from the Bible. And one of those songs was from Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 21, which says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The song that we, we taught them, and I, I know that they still remember it today because it's so simple, it just goes like this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Um, it comes from uh, a series of scripture songs called Hide Them in Your Heart uh, by Steve Green. That's from volume one. And there are like 20 songs on this. And if you're a parent and you want your kids to learn truths from Scripture, I would encourage you to check out these CDs. They are 30 years old. I almost said 20 and then I realized, no, it's older than that. They're 30 years old, but the good news is they're available on Spotify and YouTube, so you can find the whole albums there. But folks, um, we would play this music for our kids as they were going to sleep each night, and they learned scripture. There were, there were some other things that we mixed in there, but it helped them to learn scripture. I'll never forget living, when Carly was about three, living next to a railroad track in Palestine, Texas, which if you've ever been to Palestine, Texas, you know it's kind of, that's all that's there, our railroad tracks. And and we were about 100 yards away from one, and she was in a bedroom by herself, and the train that would come through every night would scare her to death. And so we taught her, you know, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. 
And so she, she would sing that song when she heard the big bad train coming through. And she, she, she worked her way through it. You know, scripture is powerful. Um, and so I would encourage you, teach your kids uh, this stuff. There are links to those in the interactive sermon notes. If you uh, want to get it from there, I encourage you to do that. Well, have you ever heard the old saying, uh, don't pray for patience? We, probably all of you have heard that before, right? Don't pray for patience. Well, why not? I mean, it sounds like a, a good thing that we should try to, to gain and, and whatever. Why would we not want to pray for patience? Well, the reason is because when we pray for patience, God usually will answer that prayer by giving us something that's going to teach us patience. That's the way God operates. When, when he wants us to learn something, he knows that we'll learn it best through experience. So he'll put circumstances into our life that will cause us to learn to be patient. Well, the same is said about preaching. Now, you may not be aware of this, but I'm very aware of this. You see, whenever a pastor settles in on what God would have him share to his congregation, God will often allow circumstances to occur that enable that particular man to practice what he is preaching. It's also true of Bible teachers. If you are a Sunday school teacher, you know this to be true. Um, if a Sunday school curriculum is focused in on spiritual warfare or the armor of God, then hold on. <laughs> the teacher needs to beware of what kind of spiritual battle that they are about to encounter because of the preparation they are doing to share these, these lessons. And it's not just in the preparation that you fight these battles, but it's also in the aftermath, in those days that follow these lessons or these sermons, that you have that opportunity to practice what you are preaching. Well, in that regard, I preached last Sunday about how we are to respond to those who malign and mistreat us and offer blessings to them rather than cursing. How that we are to overcome evil with good, not multiply evil by responding in kind. Well, God gave me multiple opportunities to practice what I preached this past week. Uh, the good news is that he brought me these... He brought these truths back into my mind in those moments. And so when I so very badly wanted to return evil for evil, he helped me by his Holy Spirit to not retaliate, even when others around me, in their righteous indignation, and may I say, their indignation was truly righteous. What happened was terrible. They wanted to react, but I was able to help others around me see that that wasn't the way we needed to uh, respond 
And can I just say, it was difficult for me to truly believe the words that were coming out of my mouth at that point in time. When I, when I said, guys, we cannot react to this. We cannot seek justice in this situation. For to do so would only multiply the evil that has just happened. I went on and I said, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And you know, it's one thing to say you believe in the sovereignty of God. It's a whole different thing to put a situation into God's hand and say, okay, Lord, you got this. I said, I believe in the sovereignty of God. So I am trusting that his purpose will be accomplished so long as I seek to overcome evil with his righteousness. To overcome evil with good. The situation was not easy. To be honest, I began to wonder if I was having some sort of cardiac episode at one point in time in this situation. Um, several hours later, uh, the tension in my chest finally subsided. And about 48 hours later, I was finally able to eat something again. Um, honestly, folks, I was a wreck. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, this has nothing to do with anyone here, okay? Just so you know, that's important to, to mention. Um, the best thing that happened as a result is I was able to lose seven pounds this week. Amen. <laughs> just in time for the wedding. <laughs> I'm not getting married, in case you didn't realize. My, my son is getting married next weekend, or this weekend. Wow, six days away. I was a wreck. But I believe that God allowed this to happen to give me an opportunity to truly trust him. It was an opportunity for me uh, to grow in my faith in him. An opportunity to glorify him in spite of the situation that we had just experienced. So I began wondering, is it possible that God gave you some of those same kinds of growth opportunities uh, this week? Did you encounter a situation where you wanted to respond to evil with evil? Anybody have a situation like that happen to them this week? I see a couple of hands, yeah. How did you do? <laughs> I hope you did well. I hope that the words of Scripture came back to your mind. But I hope you didn't respond to evil with evil. Well, as we move forward in the in the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue this concept of thinking about be, not being overcome by evil, but overcome, overcoming evil with God, good. 
So I want to invite you to join me as we continue reading from Romans 12. We're going to read again the, the entire section here, this entire paragraph, starting in verse 14, going through the end of the chapter. But today we'll be focusing our attention in on verses 16, 17, and 18. The Bible says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, what, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So today we're going to continue to discover what it means to overcome evil with good. And we'll be considering this thought of, therefore, be considerate. Be considerate. There are six points that I want us to look at this morning, and some of you just shuddered in fear uh, when I told you that there are six points. But because there are six points, I am hoping that we will be able to, to run through these fairly quickly. So the outline is very simple today. Six ways that we can overcome evil. First is that we overcome evil by living in harmony. We overcome evil by living in harmony with one another. So what does it mean? Or what does living in harmony have to do with overcoming evil? Well, you see, folks, one of Satan's oldest schemes, oldest tactics is a, a tactic of dividing and conquering. If he can divide us, we are not as strong when we are divided. As followers of Christ, we all depend upon the same source of information. God's holy word, right? We all depend on the same source of information. We have available the same source of power, the Holy Spirit of God. And we have the same fundamental objective, which is to glorify God. Amen? And yet... Even though we're all fighting the same foe, we often end up fighting with one another. The King James Version here in, in uh, Romans 12, 16 says to be of the same mind toward one another. Or be of the same mind one toward another. Let me get it right. Now, this doesn't mean that every Christian is to think exactly alike. That's, that's not the, the concept. The word mind here in the King James is talking about um, 
more than just the intellectual process alone. It refers to the inner man. It's talking about the attitude that is in each and every one of us. And so if we have the same attitude, if we have the same mind, then we are living in harmony with one another. Too often, Christians waste their time and energy fighting with one another. And because they're fighting with one another, they have nothing left to battle against the evil of the enemy. Folks, we cannot win this battle of evil if there is dissension in the ranks. There are too many casualties of war as a result of friendly fire. The key to living in harmony with one another is found in the next two sections of verse 16. And that is, number one, we must not think we are better than others are. And number two, we must not think we are smarter than our fellow believers. So let's look at our second point. We must overcome evil by being humble. We live in harmony when we live in humility. What does it mean to be haughty, as the King James puts it, or to us? To be willing to associate with the lowly. You see, to be haughty. Oh, actually, the, I said the King James. It's the ESV that said that. I go back and forth between ESV and King James because this is such a familiar passage that I memorized in King James. So I may say it one way or the other. We'll see um, how we go through the day. But to be haughty or to be unwilling to associate with the lowly its haughtiness is being focused on exalting ourselves to be focused on the high and mightiness of who we think we are is the idea behind this it's the idea of being arrogant or proud you see the haughty person is a person that's going to always find a way to get into the limelight to to be in the spotlight. It's a person who always wants to take the place of prominence in a situation. They don't know how to step down. And they surely don't want anything to do with the unimportant people in the room. You see, a haughty person is a person who in his own estimation is Number one, or soon will be number one in whatever situation they find themselves. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of a passage way back here in Isaiah chapter 14. You see, in Isaiah 14, verse 12, the Bible's talking about, the Lord is speaking about... One of the archangels in heaven named Lucifer. The prophet wrote, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You, speaking about Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. 
I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of, the, of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But the Lord continues and says, but you are brought down to Sheol or brought down to death, to the far reaches of the pit. You see, folks, an attitude of pride is evil. A haughty spirit is the same spirit that Satan had when he was cast out of heaven. And so if an attitude of pride is evil, we cannot fight evil with evil. We cannot overcome evil with evil. We will only multiply that evil if we are proud. So we must overcome evil by being humble. An attitude of humility is present when a person does not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. We find that earlier back here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. That's what Paul told them. He said, um, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So don't be proud, but think more highly of others, he says. In fact, he goes on in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 and says that we should consider others before we consider ourselves. And we should honor others more than we honor ourselves, he tells us in Romans 12.10. So the, let's, let's take a moment and read that passage in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his, interest, his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, folks, this attitude of humility was demonstrated in Jesus' life as well as his death, his sacrificial death on the cross. So the first key to living in harmony with one another is living in humility. The second is not being a know-it-all but rather having a willingness to learn from others. Let's look at point number three, and that is overcome evil by listening to others. The scripture says to not be wise in our own eyes or our own sight. 
What's wrong with being wise in our own eyes? Well, you know what? Romans chapter 3, again, looking at the, the larger context of what our passage is, Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us that there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. In fact, he says everyone is worthless. Why would we trust in ourselves if, if that's a true picture of who we are? That's why the author of Proverbs uh, tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. Instead, we should, in all of our ways, acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths or make our paths straight. So God warns us against being a know-it-all. He also warns us about the value of our thinking. Do you remember what Isaiah told us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9? He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, the problem with men and women trusting their wisdom, it tells us very clearly in Romans 3, verse 18, what that problem is. And you know what it is? It says that there is no fear of God before their eyes. If you're trusting in your own wisdom, you're trusting in the thoughts of a person who has no fear of God. That's who we are in our sinful, natural selves. What did Proverbs tell us about wisdom? It said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we've got to get beyond listening to our own wisdom and begin listening to the wisdom that comes from others. You see an attitude of humility and a willingness to learn from others are the keys to living harmoniously in the family of God. How many of us enjoy having a family member who is a know-it-all? Being proud or being a proud, arrogant know-it-all is a foolproof method for causing division and dissension in the church. Jay Adams said that the soldiers in the army, or sorry, the soldiers in an army are interdependent. Only someone blinded by pride could think otherwise. He went on and said, you will never be able to overcome evil in another until you have learned to overcome evil in yourself. And so Paul tells us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17 goes on and says, 
repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Our fourth point this morning is that we need to overcome evil by never retaliating. Overcome evil by never retaliating. In the New American Standard Bible, this verse, rather than saying repay no one evil for evil, the NASB says never pay back evil. Let me say it again. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never do it. Never is an absolute. There are no exceptions to this command when the word says never. Never pay back evil to anyone. You see, it is absolute. And absolutes permit no exceptions. Because of this, absolutes are actually quite rare. Absolutes are important, though, because there is never a need to determine when that rule applies. Let's take another absolute for a moment. Never tell a lie. If that is an absolute in your life, if you have determined in your heart that I am never going to lie, even when it's a difficult truth, if that is an absolute that you accept, you'll tell the truth. That's just the way it is. I'm not going to lie. It's an absolute. I think that's one that we can accept a little more easily than this absolute of never retaliate. Never return evil for evil. You see, if you can only accept this idea of never retaliating as an absolute, it can be a tremendous blessing because it fits all circumstances of your life. There's no rationalizing about it if you have decided in your heart that I will never retaliate no matter what the situation. You will never run into a circumstance when you have to figure out what you need to do if you've decided you're never going to re retaliate. If we make a decision once and for all that we will never retaliate against someone who maligns us or mistreats us, then it will be a non-issue. Unfortunately, this often seems to be more difficult for us than just making a decision, I'm never going to do it. Jay Adams addressed that issue as well. He said, some Christians fight at the drop of a hat. Have you met those folks? Yeah, well, don't answer that out loud with a name, please. He said, they snap back like an angry dog whose tail you've stepped on. They snarl and nip at, your, at the leg. Folks, have you ever met someone who just felt like they had to retaliate no matter what? You see, there's, 
there's a warped sense of justice that spurs us on to get get even with someone when someone or something is evil. We have this, this warped sense of justice where we've got to make it right. And to quote my second favorite philosopher, Darling Carey, God doesn't need us to fix it. God doesn't need us to fix anything. If we believe in his sovereignty, then he's got it. But for some reason, we have this warped sense of justice that says, I've got to do something about this. But God says that not only do we not have the right to exact justice on others, we do not have the ability to exact justice on others. We do not have the right nor the ability to carry out justice. So it does not matter what the situation is that you're facing. If we are going to obey this command in Romans 12, 17 that says repay no one evil for evil, then we have to make a decision to never retaliate. It's got to be a non-negotiable. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, Paul tells us. And so just like our first point, which was living in harmony, it was undergirded by points two and three. We live in harmony by being humble and by learning to listen to others. This fourth point is upheld by points five and six. You see, when we refuse to retaliate, we are overcoming evil by being blameless. We overcome evil by being blameless. You see, the manner in which we respond to others must be above reproach. This word honorable here in the last part of verse 17, do what is honorable in the sight of all. This word honorable literally means beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life. If something is honorable, it is beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life, and hence praiseworthy. It goes on and says it is morally good, or the last definition of it is to be noble. Nobility is a, is a lost art today. But that's what we're talking about here, is doing what is noble, honorable, beautiful in the sight, it says, of all. The challenge here is to respond to evil in such a way that it would be universally acknowledged as good. That almost anyone in the world would agree with you that what you did was beautiful or fine. Now folks, just to be frank, this takes some forethought and planning to know how to always respond well. Because in our sinful nature, we are not going to respond well to a situation. 
We're not. You're not. I'm not. Even Brother George is not. I know it's hard to believe. How can we respond well? Well, let me be clear about one thing before I answer that question. I'm not encouraging you to use the standard of what currently politically correct uh, thought is in our world today in order to determine your response to evil. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that we have to just acquiesce to the, the current thought uh, in our society and respond in that way. We cannot compromise the truth in order for people in the world to see us as praiseworthy and morally good. Instead, we need to heed Paul's instruction to the Colossians. Do you remember what Colossians 4, 6 says? It said, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. When we are responding to evil, we do not do so with animosity. We do so with grace. Aren't you thankful that God responded to the evil that is me with grace? Aren't you thankful that he responded to you with grace? In the same way, we've got to be gracious. But being gracious does not mean we compromise truth. Grace is one of the most beautiful things in the universe that God created. And, we, and when we extend that grace to our enemies... It will be seen as noble. It will be seen as pure. It will be beautiful by reason of the purity of our heart and our life. And so we can overcome evil by being blameless. But the last thing I want us to notice this morning is that we can also overcome evil by pursuing peace. Overcome evil by pursuing peace. You see, winning the battle against evil and attaining peace are two very different things. Winning a battle is not the same thing as experiencing peace. To win the war is only part of our orders here. We are commanded, yes, to win the war against evil, but we're also commanded to win the peace with others, if at all possible. Let's look at the context and the next larger context of this truth. This, this idea of pursuing peace. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace. And for mutual upbuilding. We need to pursue peace. And we need to pursue to build one another up. If we go to the, the next larger context. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12.14 provides us with some pertinent insight here as well. Hebrews 12.14 says strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness of 
without which no one will see the Lord. Now here's what I want us to notice about these two verses. The words here in Romans 14, 19 and Hebrews 12, 14. The word that says strive for peace or pursue peace is the same word that is translated in other places in scripture for the word to persecute. You might think, what? How do those things go together? Well, when someone persecutes you, they pursue you. They pursue maligning you. They pursue the, the activity of mistreating you. And so both the author of Hebrews and Paul flipped that on its head and said, don't pursue evil against someone, but rather pursue peace. Relentlessly pursuing peace until you experience peace. If at all possible. That's the idea we find here in Romans 12, 18. Now Paul includes a conditional clause here because peace is not always possible. Peace is not always possible because peace does not just depend upon me. It depends upon others as well. The key is that we must do everything possible in order to achieve that peace. We have to be blameless in this process. We have to be above reproach. We must do everything we possibly can to accomplish that peace. There cannot be a reason that's left in us that the conflict between us and another person continues. Jay Adams said this, he said, you can always win the battle with evil. That depends upon you. You can always win an inner peace that also depends on you. But you can't always have peace with your defeated enemy. You see, God wants us to be at peace with all people. But you know what? There are some Christians that seem to not want to be at peace. There are some believers out there that, that just feel the need to always be stirring the pot. They, they see their role in this world as stirring up conflict, pointing out other people's wrongs, and, and doing everything they can to show the world how wrong they are. They think that if they're not stirring the pot, then somehow they've become soft. They've compromised their beliefs. They've, they've become unspiritual or soft on the issues. But folks, that is not the way the scripture tells us we should act. In fact, the scriptures tell us in, in a description of what an elder ought to be, the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy as well as in Titus, it says that an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church. 
Not just you people in here. I have a responsibility to have a good reputation with people outside the church. If I'm always stirring up conflict, pointing fingers and telling people how wrong they are, am I going to have that good reputation? You see, that's a requirement for ordained leaders of the church, but shouldn't it also be everyone else's goal? Some final thoughts here about pursuing peace. When you make peace with your adversary, you have no options. You have no choice. You must try to do so. If you pursue those things that lead to peace, you are to do that no matter what the other person says or does. You're to pursue those things that lead to peace, not to, to bring about more conflict. Your actions are to be the re direct result of Christ's orders. They're, they are not to be reactions to what they say, but rather a response that is godly. And no matter what, whether the other person pursues peace with you or not, is quite irrelevant. Our task is to do all that we can do to seek peace with that person. See, the words, if possible, also limit the ways and means that we're able to bring about peace. And just in case some of you were concerned about what I said a moment ago about having a, a good reputation among those outside the church, let me hasten to say the words peace at any price do not go with this text. if possible, indicates that there may be times when the cost of peace is too high. Peace must always be sought on a scriptural basis with absolutely no compromise of biblical principles. We must seek peace through righteousness, but never at the cost of righteousness so far as it depends on you is an important phrase here because it indicates that Paul saw the importance of sorting out the responsibilities you see it is your responsibility before God to do all that you can do to bring about peace regardless of how the other party reacts Regardless of how the other party responds, we must do the hard work that is required to overcome evil. How do we do that? Well, the list is here on the screen. We do that by learning to live in harmony with each other. Stop the infighting. That requires us to be humble. It requires us to be teachable. 
live in harmony. And make a decision to never, ever retaliate evil for evil. But overcome evil with good. Respond in such a way that we are blameless. Not just in the sight of fellow believers, but blameless in the sight of the world. Morally pure, beautiful. And pursue peace relentlessly. That is how we will overcome evil with good. Father in heaven, I thank you for our time today. And Father, I just uh, pray that these words, while challenging, will encourage us to live in such a way that we stand out from the world. Lord, let our, let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that, that we are speaking into the world for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.